Hello and welcome to another episode of Between the Bites, weekly discussions on cybersecurity, tech news, and business. I'm Derek Parkinson. I'm James Fair. And we are back for the first time in a couple of weeks with a regular episode. So James, welcome back from your vacation. How was it? Thank you, sir. It was amazing. I, uh, yeah, that was a bucket list item. I uh, went to South Africa and saw like all those creatures they talk about. Didn't see a leopard, but everything else. And did a couple of days before in a city and a couple of days after we're in a city. I could have just skipped all that and just spent all the time out in the games. <laughs> <laughs> to heck with the cities, man. I'm, nothing against the folks living there. It was fun, but you know, it's not what I went to see. So, But it was really epic. Yeah, honestly, would probably do the same. Great. <laughs> Very great. So we got a handful of news articles, recent things coming up to cover. Let's kick it off local with Utah. So a report came out from KSL, our news outlet out here. Cyber attacks against Utah agencies cost the state $6 million between 2016 and 2022, according to a recent audit. Given the scale of some of the larger cyber attacks that we've seen, Six million seems a bit low, but for a single state and agencies directly related, it's still a substantial sum. So James, why don't you kick us off with that? Yeah, I thought the same thing. I'm like, really? Only six million? That seems really low. If you think of all the, you know, schools and cities and all the government entities, six million seemed like a, like, must be doing okay. But, you know, the article goes on to talk about how most entities just aren't prepared in, when it comes to cybersecurity. And according to what I read, they only got like 37% of the surveys back. So that's a pretty small sampling, but I think it's indicative of the, of the whole, right? And probably other people are like, I don't really want to talk about it. So it's probably mm-hmm. worse for the other <laughs> remaining 63%. But yeah, I mean, this is, we work with a lot of cities and towns and I'm not certainly calling any of them out, but this has been our experience across the board is that folks that whose specialty is running a town, their job is not security. They're, you know, that's not their specialty. It's not their forte. And so I can't say I'm terribly surprised that this you know, audit found most of these lacking. If we think of schools, right? Most of them that, I, at least in my experience of talking to teachers, they're barely making it as it is. Teachers seem to be, in my opinion, underpaid. Schools are barely scraping by. And yet now we're going to expect them to come up with some cybersecurity measures to keep themselves safe in the process as well. So yeah, not surprising, I guess would be my first take on it. And maybe that's just the visible portion of it. What about the the more indirect version? Like what happened to confidential information that was lost or people's accounts or, you know, things like that that were gone? Mm-hmm. Like you can't measure that, I'm sure. So I suspect that number is significantly higher than than they are citing there anyway. I agree. And we have seen that. There's been plenty of times where organizations don't really care to disclose that they've had major breaches, they had to pay ransom, which is why there have been things passed around with legislation, ideas of almost finding ways to make that required. You have to disclose it. I don't know where we're at with those, but that has been one thing that's been kicked around. And yeah, there's there's a lot of cost. We've talked about it a handful of times. If you look at just any organization, there's the cost of downtime outside of just paying for that. Other agencies and organizations working with the state have the same issue. Downtime costs money. And then, yeah, the loss of confidential information, especially with schools and hospitals, we've seen that, yeah, there are personal information of the children, the students at these schools and stuff that have been shared. And that's pretty costly, maybe not directly to the organization, but to the families, it's pretty dang costly and and frustrating as well. So it is a big issue. 
Yeah. Yeah. In 2021, the average downtime was like 21 days. We're talking about being down for three weeks. And I realize this is government, you know, not necessarily private business, but that's got to hurt. It sets people behind, right? I don't think people stop getting paid, but that is also not calculated into this $6 million. Absolutely. And interestingly, most of them cited cybersecurity awareness training was not uh, on the list for most of these entities that they surveyed. And, you know, I think we've talked about it here before, certainly, that we put all these great measures in place as security professionals and IT professionals. We put in firewalls and antivirus programs and we create permission locking and all that. And so, unfortunately, the people, the busy human being is the target nowadays. We've all got a target painted on our back and they're going after us. And those awareness trainings, I personally put on many of them. I put on one yesterday, in fact. I think those really raise awareness, obviously, but they get people to stop and look and think more than they would initially. So we see this, we'll do a security awareness training at an organization. And for a while, we'll see a big influx of email coming from staff saying to their IT and security folks saying, hey, is this legitimate email? Is this a legitimate email? So they're checking, right? They're, they're like, I can't really tell. I'm not sure. Will you please verify it for us? In most cases, it's not. In some cases, it is. But we see this big uptick in people who are watching out, who are checking. But then it fades over time. People start to get into their habits and it starts to fade. So repeated security awareness trainings is a big deal, particularly as the attack vectors change, which they always do, right? The bad guys try a method, it works for a while, we all start catching on to it. So they change their tactics and it's this continual cat mouse game as we're doing this on and on and on. And for instance, one of the things we've seen recently is a valid SharePoint link coming in via email. And you click on it and it seems like a valid you know, document it takes you to. Maybe it's a, a Microsoft voice uh, message. But then there's a, a link inside of that message that takes you to a site which then prompts you for credentials and isn't a legitimate site. But by then you've seen two valid URLs. And if you're even if you're checking, you're like, okay, I saw this one, I saw this one, I'm good to go, I'll put in my credentials. Turns out those credentials have now been harvested by a bad guy because you didn't look at the third one. So it's super important that awareness trainings go on all the time because we need to raise awareness, not just to average tactics, but the new stuff we're seeing out there in the world for sure. Absolutely. Yeah, it's it's a matter of uh, tactics, but then also timing and messaging that that play a factor, especially when it comes to the social engineering aspect of it. Or these phishing emails, you've got to always stay diligent and pay attention because every now and then the timing will hit you just right. You know, you'll get a fake Amazon email asking for things. Right as your package didn't show up. <laughs> yep, it'll happen right around when your package didn't show up or immediately right. after you ordered. They didn't find a way to do that intentionally. Thankfully, they it's not a, that easy to accomplish if they don't already have access to your Amazon account. But sometimes the timing just works. Serendipitous moments don't always have to be good ones. Yeah. The other one that caught my attention was uh, there was a discussion in the article about communication challenges between IT and management. And let's see, I, I quote them, in part due to communication style and technical understanding, meaning they're not talking to each other, right? The IT mm. folks are talking tech and the management is going, what the heck are you talking about? That's a big deal, right? We've got to be able yeah. to talk to each other. Tech people need to be able to put it in terms that are understandable by the people making the business or the government decisions, you know, the money decisions. I find that one interesting because I don't know that there's a good solution right now, but that's a big deal. We've got to be able to talk to each other. These departments must be able to speak in ways that work for the other group. Otherwise, we're not going to get anywhere with this. So 
maybe that's our next thing as we start doing uh, technical, I don't know, how do we put it? <laughs> technical trading, uh, how to speak tech or how to speak not tech for the technical yeah. people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that one's a lot harder of a barrier because it is, that's more of a people thing. You need your technicians to, I've seen a lot of good ones, especially working here at Executech, but I've also come across my fair share of very negative and jaded technicians as well, where anytime you ask them a question, they roll their eyes. But I've also, thanks right. to, with the last one of talking to Cody Ogden, somebody who used to run our help desk, I've also seen some tickets come through where these employees, man, they don't know how to communicate. Right. You know, my internet's broken. Yeah. That's the extent, the whole ticket. So both sides need to learn how to communicate, give a little bit right. more information. Right. Um, yeah. So it definitely goes both ways. Yeah. No, same. Right. I'm, and that was one of the things I focused on when I was doing a lot of the hiring was I do not want to hire someone who thinks that IT is the end all be all. We're here for business. We're supporting government and, and business. So IT needs to, needs to you know keep that in mind. And we also want people who can at least couch it in terms that's understandable to people. If they're using all their acronyms, that's right, all their tech, just so they can seem like they're the smartest people in the room, they are not serving anyone except themselves at that point. So, and yeah, users need to be able to produce more details so that we're not trying to go, okay, we've narrowed it down to the entire 3000 options. Let's see if we can start narrowing that down, you know, provide more detail. And it seems silly. We say it all the time in IT, but the more detail, the better. If you can tell me what you were doing, what changed recently, things like that. It seems redundant. It's almost as common as saying, have you restarted yet? But yet there are reasons for these things that we, that we ask right. these questions. <laughs> Clear your cash and cookies. It makes a difference. Yes, it's not it just does. a cliche. It's a cliche for yes. a reason. <laughs> and you ran into this recently, right? Personally, with your own work machine where it was blue screening oh. and you had to do something too to fix that, right? To reset it or something? Yeah, I had to wipe the whole thing and start fresh. And yeah, it fixed the problem. It took yeah, half a day, wow. but it fixed the problem. Right. Yeah. So state of Utah, and I'm sure other states out there are just the same, if not possibly a little bit worse. Yeah. Learn how to talk to your people, especially your your IT professionals, and train your staff. Well, let's jump on to the next one. This one's been pretty interesting. I, honestly, until this article, I hadn't heard that these other companies had, but um, Apple is the latest tech firm to block employees from using chat GPT. So I didn't know there were other ones outside of this, but yeah, it looks like Amazon and Samsung have already done the same. What do you think about their concerns of employees feeding chat GPT confidential or sensitive information? Right. Yeah. That's my first question was why, why would you limit people from this, this huge resource that we have out there? Right. I, I think I mentioned in a previous podcast that one of our internal IT guys, he was like, I need to write this PowerShell code in order to do what I need, what I wanted to do. And so he could, he would have figured it out. He's a smart guy, but just for the heck of it, he put it in chat GPT and he said, sure enough, it produced a full working segment of code that solved the problem for me. So without that resource, we are certainly leveraging the human, but we're, we're losing some of the efficiency out there. So my first question was, why would we do that? And you brought it up exactly. It's people are putting the confidential information in there. So, you know, Hey, AI, how do we do this? And that is a maybe a new upcoming feature of an iPhone that they don't want released out there. And now the AI, its job is to take all information in and produce better answers in the future. So it's going to leverage that. Hey, I learned this from this person over here. You know, they started inputting information. So I'm going to leverage that in my answers to other people in the future. So now we've got information, potentially proprietary or intellectual property, being used in future answers to people that were not part of that segment. 
So that's a little scary. I can understand, you know, do we trust our, our developers and our programmers to never put anything in there that might be intellectual property, some, some proprietary coding perhaps? Or do you just blanket say, forget it, we're going to block it entirely. Obviously, some of these folks have said, you know what, we're just going to blanket entirely. Apple, as you said, Amazon and Samsung, that's a lot of folks being blocked from using AI. So yeah, a part of me just goes, wow, you are kind of cutting off your nose to spite your face kind of a thing, right? There's, there's, <laughs> There are a lot of advantages in AI that you will not be able to leverage with this blanket approach. Flip side being... Yeah, unless you train all the users on how not to put in proprietary code or intellectual property, maybe it's a better move. I man, that's a tough call. Yeah. And it's it's hard to know what's okay to put and what's not. You know, if it's a small enough piece of code, is it gonna make a difference? Is, is some of these larger pieces of code they could be sharing that would be confidential, like Amazon's algorithms and things like that. If if you're trying to fix that through Chat GPT, then yeah, it definitely could cause some issues. And you know, what we've said countless times, the users being the main target and your weakest point, leaving it up to them to decide what's safe and what's not isn't always a safe bet, especially with some of the size. I mean, Apple, Amazon, and Samsung, you've got a few thousand employees. That's a lot of people to just blindly trust their judgment. Yeah. So I, I get that it is a whole lot easier just to say no, no chat GPT <laughs> than to try and teach them what's good and what's not. And then how right. do you follow up? Like, do you, do you have somebody yeah. audit their conversations? That? Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> Are you monitoring their chat? Their AI Just impossible. Yeah. yeah. That's not going to work. So. Yeah. Like one thing I saw, Samsung said that they were going to fire an employee if they, uh, they were looking to summarize meeting notes, which means somebody took all their meeting minutes, stuck it in chat GPT and said, summarize this for me which made their job easier, but by the same token, all that private meeting now is <laughs> out there somewhere on the internet, right? To be used yeah. to be mined as a resource. And that's that's the unfortunate thing. If you're talking about sensitive stuff, you don't get to do that. And can ChatGPT summarize that for you? Absolutely. I'm sure it did a really, really good job at it. <laughs> I'm sure it did. That doesn't, that doesn't make it okay. Right. <laughs> Just because you have your own separate login to ChatGPT doesn't mean that everything you say to it right. is secure. So I guess if I was an AI developer, I would work on ways to segment that information. So I can say, hey, Apple, you have your own segment of ChatGPT. It can pull information from everywhere else, but it can't share any information it learns from you all. I don't know. That's the only I can think to do it. Otherwise... Yeah, like a private chat mode? Yeah. Yeah. You get your own version of chat, you know, the Apple chat or something. That's already a thing. But, you know, something uh, <laughs> like that where it's, yeah, it, the, the information gleaned during those chats cannot be sent out, outside of that particular AI's sphere of influence, I guess. That'd be the only way to do it that I can think of. That's going to be challenging in the future. Yeah, that'd be pretty tricky. Yeah, for sure. And then it gives a target. Anytime you make it private, then all the, the bad actors and, and people, then you're going to start right. getting attacked. Now I know where to go to try to get that information. Yeah, <laughs> if I can hack into one developer's account, I can pull that database out. Now I've got all this proprietary information I didn't want shared. That's a good point. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, man, this is a whole new world we're in. This AI thing is really changing the landscape for us all, for sure. Yep. And there's no precedent. We don't know how to deal with this. We've never, you know, Terminator <laughs> movies, that's about it, but... <laughs> or Isaac Asimov, you know, books, but that's about it, really. Uh, 
All right, next. Hyundai and Kia will pay $200 million in a settlement over the Kia Challenge car thefts, which the Kia Challenge <laughs> was one of the more absurd things that went across social media. Mainly TikTok was, you know, there's a certain way, I guess, to break into certain Kias and Hyundais that didn't have safety measures in place that namely went around with the push button start. Cars that didn't have that, I guess there was a very specific and I'm guessing generally easy method of breaking in and stealing those vehicles. So there was an internet challenge to see who can do that the best. And now Kia and Hyundai have to pay for it. What do you think? Oops. Yeah. <laughs> Oops. First of all. That's a big one. Um, yeah. I guess making vehicles that don't have, you know, anti-theft immobilizers, that was the big thing. Because if it had one of those, then, they, then it wouldn't work. It could detect the theft, but if they didn't have a feature in place to block the person from starting the vehicle anyway, then, you know, it was allowed in. So I read some of them like a USB cable was enough. I didn't actually go look at any of these. I wasn't sure that should do that on my on my work computer, how much that would trigger somebody's alert, my own security internal alerts. But yeah, there were like people doing, you know, hashtag Kia boys or something like that with a Z saying, look, we broke into, here's another one tonight. Here's another one tonight. And yeah, I just feel bad for all those people who own those vehicles you know, running around having their vehicles broke into and maybe the vehicle even stolen. And if not that, at least the vehicle broke into where people tend to keep a lot of stuff in their vehicles. Yeah. I remember it was many years ago, but I had a vehicle broke into and the police came out and he said, yeah, honestly, the best thing you can do is take every every valuable out of your car, take one of those removable car stereos. Remember back in the day, we used to remove our the face plate or the whole car stereo. And he said, and leave your windows down so they don't break your window trying to get into your car. Leave it unlocked, yep. leave the windows down so they don't break into your car. I'm like, that's our answer? Really? Really? That's the best answer we've got? But, you know, I guess this kind of screams to that still. So, yeah, so back to the original thing. Shame on them for <laughs> apparently what we need are, like we have those bug bounties for software programs. Apparently mm -hmm. we need this a similar thing. We need a anti-theft bounty where, we're, yeah, we're bringing a team of these I don't know, physical hackers and have them go after the vehicles and say, see how long it takes you to get in, trying various means. And when someone does, you pay them a big sum of money so that they don't go all over TikTok broadcasting how it happened and giving you as the manufacturer an opportunity to correct it prior to it being rolled out to, you know, 9 million Hyundai and Kia vehicles. No kidding. Ouch. Wow. Yeah, this article cites police in Milwaukee. They actually cited these numbers that... 469 Kias and 426 Hyundais were stolen in 2020. Wow. In 2021, that went up to 3,557 Kias and 3,406 Hyundais. 500% increase because it was yeah. all over TikTok. They're like, hey, all you bad guys out there, here's how you do it. Ah, oh. Wow. Yeah, this is bad news. You know, as we get more and more computer based products out there, including our vehicles, we've got to have. Anti-theft things in place. It should be it should be a standard part of the vehicle. Is you put in a one of those steering wheel locks or something, so this stuff can't happen. Yep, I like the bug bounty idea though. I think that's yeah. pretty neat. If you need yeah. a way to fund it, just televise it. That'd be fascinating to watch, like a relay yeah. of cars, people trying to break in and drive. Trying to, the to next break one. in, get the, yeah, really fun to watch. And, <laughs> that would be fun to watch. I agree. A little scary if you owned one of those vehicles, but yeah, yeah for new ones at least. But, you know, with $200 million they just paid out in a class action lawsuit or about to, that would fund quite a bit of bug bounty. You could pay you could a pay couple a millions and still save yourself a lot of money in the long run. No kidding. So 
Yeah, that's that's a big oops, man. And I, it makes me wonder how many other vehicles are subject to something very similar. I've seen it with there were those decoders for Tesla. I don't recall seeing those where people could come by. They'd try to find your keys to your Tesla in your house. There was a device that would and they would come by your house, like come by your windows and that and eventually would detect the key. And then they could initiate an unlock from your key to the Tesla and then get into your car that way. So well, maybe that'll be for our next segment. But as we move to computerized everything, like this is why I don't have my my electronic door locks yet. I'm still using physical door locks because it's like, yeah, we're not at the place where I trust those yet. Uh-uh. Nope, not at all. <laughs> no way. All right. I think we've got time for one more. So let's jump into this Supreme Court ruling dismisses the claims of Google and Twitter aiding terrorism. Yeah. ISIS even. Mm-hmm. Yikes. This is a weird one where we say, all right, is it up to Twitter and Google and these other large social media platforms to monitor all correspondence that goes on inside of their programs and then alert authorities if something is amiss? I, I can't even imagine how many tweets go out in a single day, but it, I'm, you know, it's got to be in the, the millions. So now AI could, I'm sure, play a part in this. It could certainly help track track some of that stuff down. Maybe we teach an AI how to look for terrorism-based discussions, right? But short of that, I don't think there's any way to do it. And there's an action act, the uh, Communications Decency Act, actually protects tech companies from litigation that goes on on their platforms. So yes, legally, they are not subject to those things, but doesn't mean morally or you know, in some other ma- method that they should not be, in my opinion at least, up to speed on that kind of stuff, right? We need to make sure that that is not going on, that we are not allowing terrorist activity to happen just because we provided a platform for the whole world to use. Yeah, I think the important part here is early detection. Yeah. Personally, I don't think outright prevention is ever gonna work, because what would it take to be able to prevent that? Is you'd have to take somebody who could think like that, right? With all that hateful thoughts and racist thoughts and all that, you'd have to find somebody with that mindset to then sit and, and tell <laughs> and you this, hire them. this is the kind of stuff I would say online. That's not going to work. The other issue that I have is the general public, especially after, rightfully so, after Cambridge Analytica is, in my opinion, what kicked this all off with Facebook. Oh, yeah. The public's obsession with not being tracked in any way, shape or form. Right. If you take all of those things away, no matter how broad strokes this tracking is, if you take all of that away, any machine learning, AI or anything like that loses its ability to learn and improve and detect. Yeah. So you you can't have both. The same goes with the advertisements, which we've talked about before. Is you don't want ads that waste your time, then you need to allow tracking. If you don't want hate speech to be so prevalent, then yeah, you need to allow tracking to let these algorithms and machine learning things learn so that they can spot it faster. Because the more they get to see it in the real world, the more efficient they get at cleaning it up in the future. So we can't always have it both ways. I want to see it gone too, but at the same time, I don't care what's tracking me within reason because I don't like ads that waste my time. And I like applications and software that performs the way it's supposed to. And if it needs to track some high-level data, then that's fine. I'm cautious with what I do share, but there are certain things that, yeah, I want my location services to be running for the app that I need to, like Google Maps. Right. And that's kind of, in my mind, it's a little blatant, but in my mind, that's the equivalent of, no, Google, you can't track my location, but can you please tell me how to get to this store in the next city? (laughs) 
you're not letting it track your location. It doesn't know where you are. You right. can't have it both ways. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. Because we've got, you know, we've got free expression, right? Freedom of speech is, is a right in this country. And so how do we balance that and maintain a level of privacy and yet be able to find these people out there? And I'm sure the people who are clamoring to stop these hate speech and other things out there are also the ones who are like, well, no, you can't look at my private data. And I, yeah, you said it very well. Can't have it both ways, right? We've got to be able to combat harmful content and yet still be able to safeguard free expression out there. There's just, it's an interesting balance we find ourselves in here. Yep. Well, interesting articles. James, good to have you back. Thank you, sir. Good to be back. And yeah, we'll go ahead and wrap this episode up. Thanks again, everybody, for listening, and we will catch you guys on the next one. Be safe out there, folks, and lock your Hyundai. Yeah. <laughs> Bye, all See ya.